This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, the robot revolution is here. Are we prepared? The challenge is the fact that so many of the people that are displaced by robotics and technology don't have the skills needed for the new jobs. You know, when we're talking about globally forecasts of 375 million people losing their jobs in the next decade across the U.S. and Canada, some forecasts show the numbers could be as high as 45%, which we're talking now 65, 70 million people losing their employment. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet, patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. My, my, where did the summer go? My boys, online classes begin next week. Hard to believe. What a strange summer. What an utterly bizarre 2020. Uh, don't forget, I'm sitting in for George Norrie on Coast to Coast AM tonight. Go to coasttocoastam.com for more information. How many of you have children going back to school, middle school, high school? Maybe like me, you're homeschooling. My boys are entering grade nine. How many of you have children taking some kind of coding course or a course in robotics? No? Well, after listening to my conversation with Dennis Combites, you might want to seriously reconsider that. The robotics revolution isn't something that it's about to happen in the future. It's here right now. And as you're about to hear, we are way behind in North America in making sure our children are prepared and trained for the unbelievably massive shift in the economy that's about to happen within the next decade. Dennis Combites is recognized as a leader in robotics education. His approach to teaching robotics has helped thousands of students, and he's also trained hundreds of teachers, helping them understand best practices for teaching robotics. He's frequently invited to present at educational conferences, and his presentation, Preparing Students for a Robotic Future, has been described as transformational and something every educator needs to hear. Dennis's innovative approach and strategies have helped educators of all levels deliver inspiring world-class robotics and programming education. Dennis Combites, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks very much. So tell me about your specific training in robotics. 
You know, I, ironically, I uh, have taught thousands of kids robotics. I have no formal robotics training, which seems really counterintuitive, but it gives me a real advantage in teaching robotics, particularly to students and to teachers that also have no robotics training. And so what we focus on initially is creating robotics literacy as opposed to making world-class roboticists. And that really is the focus of what we need to do societally. You know, a lot of times I talk to educators and tell me we've got a great robotics program. We finished second in the state or second in the province or whatever it might be in the competition. And my response would be, that's awesome. How many kids do you have learning robotics? And, and really, I mean, I, I do think it is awesome because I think that we need to get as many of our kids learning high-end robotics and coding as possible. But the reality is, and I've talked to more than 20,000 educators uh, in the last you know, five to six years, the reality is at the high school level, only two or 3% of boys and about 0.3% of girls are learning robotics. And we're talking about a literacy that's about to become a key literacy across all industries. And so what we focus on initially is getting as many kids excited about learning robotics as we can. I was watching a news feed online, and it was um, a delegation from the Middle East was arriving at a conference, and it was the emir of one of the Gulf states. He had a a robotic bodyguard behind him. I don't know if you saw this online. This thing was about 10, 12 feet tall. It was armed. It had multiple, something like 36 security cameras, so 360 degrees surveillance, and it had... Uh, it, well, it was armed with, with weaponry, and it looked like something straight out of Star Wars. So the future has arrived, and yet, based on what you're saying, is we're woefully unprepared. Yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's a few different thoughts about, you know, there's military robots, there's artificial intelligence, there's will we, will we be, you know, replaced by artificial intelligence? How does humanity fit into the future but you know one of those are all and and those are all very real concerns and things that we need to think about but there's a very very real uh risk or crisis that's approaching and that's with regards to the impact that robotics and ai is going to have on all facets of the workforce you know a lot of times we think about robotics you know and artificial intelligence the same way we thought about computers back in the 80s. You know, back in the 80s, someone would write a piece of computer software that would, you know, help accountants or help, you know, the medical industry. And we'd all sit there and go, hey, these are pretty great pieces of software. We're probably going to need more coders in the future. And that turned out to be true. But what we missed was the far greater implication. And that was that computers were going to become a layer across all industries. And similar to that, we're going to see robotics and artificial intelligence impact all industries and children that aren't getting this education in their schools. And that is the vast, vast majority of children are going to be significantly disadvantaged with that. And then when we start to look at what's happening, you know, in the U S or Canada or the Western European nations, the education is uh, lacking or is behind what's happening in some of the Asian countries or even in the Middle East, the UAE in November signed a $360 million contract uh, over the next four years to bring artificial intelligence labs into more than 1,300 schools. Now, recognizing that artificial intelligence and robotics is going to be a layer across all industry, if we forecast forward five or six years or 10 years, where's, you know, where's the intellectual infrastructure the strongest? Those are going to be the countries that do the best. And as we start to see, you know, increased unemployment and some of the forecasts uh, globally and across North America are frighteningly staggering. Um, as we start to see those numbers rise, the companies that have created artificial intelligence and robotics, the revenue flows towards those companies. And if those companies are outside of, for example, the USA or Canada, then the revenues are flowing away and we've got a problem that is growing 
because we don't have, you know, if we think, if we think we don't have the, the financial resources to give our kids these education, you know, this type of education now, again, forecasting five or 10 years forward when there's, you know, greater unemployment because of these technologies taking jobs and less tax base to produce the money needed for retraining and upskilling, you know, we're, we're at a crisis point now where we really have to focus on this type of education and give all of our kids the strongest technical education possible. Let me ask you if I could uh, kind of a, a philosophical question, and that is if, if I could get you to make the case for robotics. I mean, one might argue, well, that's a moot point. It doesn't matter. It's here. It's happening. So adapt. But, uh, you know, many of us are are kind of rear view mirroring this. Uh, it kind of snuck up on us. So so we haven't really been given the case for the case hasn't been made for robotics. Yeah. So robotics and artificial intelligence will allow us to do so many incredible things in the future. You know, we'll, we'll go further in space. We'll go deeper into the oceans, inside volcanoes, inside human bodies. We will make so many changes and, and, and bring new technologies to help clean the environment. We're going to do so many great things over the next decade you know, as humans are over the next decades, you know, 50 years to 100 years, we're going to be, we're going to be able to do incredible, incredible things. The challenge isn't with the fact that we're bringing in robotics. The challenge is the fact that so many of the people that are displaced by robotics and technology don't have the skills needed for the new jobs. You know, when we're talking about globally forecasts of 375 million people losing their jobs in the next decade across the U.S. and Canada. Some forecasts show the numbers could be as high as 45%, which we're talking now 65, 70 million people losing their employment. And if we think about the impact of, you know, one person losing their job, you know, and I don't, I'm not picking on truck drivers or anything along that line, but you know, with self-driving vehicles, there's a lot of conversation around what that means economically. And if you've been driving a truck for, say, 20 years and, you know, there's self-driving vehicles and now you've lost your job and you come home and you flop on the couch on a Tuesday afternoon and you're like, lost my job. What am I going to do now? And you think about the psychological challenge and economic challenge that, that 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 family is going to face. And then you multiply that by, you know, 10 people or 100 people in a community. And then you think about what that impact looks like when a thousand people have that happen. And then you recognize that transportation employs three to four and a half million people across the U.S. and Canada. You start to recognize that we're in for some real fundamental shifts in what we're doing. And, you know, one of the challenges as well is, okay, so, you know, okay, people in transportation lose their jobs. What kind of jobs can they now take? And you could say, okay, well, maybe they could go into retail. Well, retail is under assault from online, you know, stores and stuff. It's not that retail is unhealthy, but people are changing the way they buy. And certainly that has been amplified by COVID. So retail, you know, brick and mortar retail stores are shrinking. That's been happening for a few years now. So, you know, the brick and mortar retail stores can't take the people from transportation because they're also contracting. Well, what industry could take them? Maybe hospitality. Well, if you've been in McDonald's, they've got the touchscreen ordering. So we're seeing these changes happen in industry after industry. And when you consider the stacking effect of what's going to happen, we're going to, you know, we're going to be in a position where we have to provide significant retraining for you know, a, a great portion of our workforce. And then where's that cost going to come from? You know, there are, I think the World Economic Forum uh, has a forecast that says it'll cost $43 billion to uh, retrain people in the U.S., $43 billion. And that's not counting the fact that, you know, each year our schools are graduating a significant number of people that only have enough technical and high-tech skills to take the exact jobs that are disappearing, right? So we're talking about fundamental and wholesale changes here, and it's critically, critically important that we start to get these changes into our education system. And I know... When I start laying out statistics about, you know, tens of millions of jobs going away, you know, hopefully tens of millions of new jobs, these are things that can be overwhelming for people. 
because it's it, it seems too large to be true. It does. You know what it sounds to me? That, it, it sounds not only, you know, the impact sounds not just revolutionary, it almost sounds cataclysmic because if we had been preparing yeah. maybe 20 years ago, then you could say, all right, we can maybe, we can shift gears, we can adapt. But, but here in the West, it seems we are starting practically from ground zero and it doesn't seem like we're going to have time to catch up. And the displacement, like... What is the argument for replacing truck drivers? Why do we need driverless vehicles? It's you know, I, and I'm I'm not I'm not a proponent for um, that type that type of change. I'm not, you know, it's not it's not my place to say what is right or what is wrong. I'm just you know an observer of what is happening, right? And I then understand. trying to help people do the best thing possible. So, sure, you know the. You could, you could say, okay, well, why do we need these technologies? But we've really got a global economy now, so we, we kind of have a choice we have to make, and that choice is we're in a global economy and we have to compete as such, and if, we're, if we don't have self-driving vehicles here, but they do in Europe, the cost of goods in Europe is less, the quality of life is better, you know, the, the potentially, um, the economic benefits of these technologies and the increased safety, presumably, uh, with these technologies mean that the countries that adopt them are going to be advantaged. So we've got a choice of we can either adopt them and work hard to, to train our citizens in the new world skills, or we have to go silo and, you know, slap on huge tariffs and, you know, stop trading with other countries. And historically, that hasn't worked out know, as well as you might like. And so, you know, it, it's, and, and there, you know, I want to make this perfectly clear. There will be winners and losers over the next decade. This is a race and you're right. We are sitting behind in North America, but we've had some unbelievable success when we've gone into schools and worked with students. And I've, I've worked with more than 18,000 kids worldwide and the results are consistent across all demographics. I've gone inner city LA, prairies of Canada, New Jersey, down to Australia, and we get consistent results. And when earlier I mentioned that the average high school sees enrollment in robotics clubs and courses of about 2% to 3% of boys, about 0.3% of girls, Using our strategies, we've been able to get that number up to 45% of boys and girls wow, that's in one calendar year. Impressive. We're talking, about, we're talking about a step change. So tell us then what you do at robots.education. We, you know, there's a few different things we do. We uh, offer schools free robotics presentations for their students. Much of what we do is free. Uh, we're not a government-funded organization. We do sell technology. We sell robotics to schools. We sell it to the public. We do teach robotics in schools. Sometimes they'll bring us in to teach because they don't feel that they have the internal resources. We do after-school programs and stuff. But to try to bring awareness and this education in, I mean, I travel the world speaking at education conferences. I've talked with more than 20,000 educators about these challenges in the last five years. But we'll go into schools. We'll do free robotics presentations for kids. We'll do free staff PD sessions to help the educators understand the changes that are coming. And it's critical that all educators understand this because really we're, we're pointed at the wrong goalposts and the vast majority of educators don't understand it. And I'm, I'm not picking on educators. The vast majority of people don't understand really the scope of what's coming. It's truly unlike anything we've seen. And, you know, I've, I've asked this question of educators, you know, probably more than 20,000 of them for sure. Uh, I ask, do you understand the changes robotics and AI is going to bring to the workforce and feel confident that you know what you have to do to prepare your students? And the number of people who have told me they feel confident is less than 100 or have raised their hand by their own, by their own judge. This is not me judging them. This is them saying, yes, I feel like I know what I need to do. So imagine that we're in the midst of the largest workforce transition ever. And less than 100 out of 20,000 educators feel like they know what they need to do. And the vast majority of the educators that I talk to 
because of the types of conferences I go to, are principals, superintendents, curriculum directors, tech specialists, the exact people who are most responsible for directing the future of education and where our kids go and, you know, trying to make sure we give them the right skills. So, you know, and, and again, this is, not, this is not a commentary on our educators. They're incredibly busy trying to, to meet their objectives, just as we're all incredibly busy. You know, we work eight hours, then we come home, we get our kids fed, we get them ready for soccer or hockey or football or baseball. We come home, we watch an hour of TV to decompress, we go to bed, we rinse, we repeat, right? And so educators are already, you know, feeling the pinch about the amount of time they're putting in trying to get our kids ready for the next grade, for college, for all of these things. And now all of a sudden we have this new literacy that is critical. And so what we try to do when we go into schools, and this is a huge part of what we do at robots.education, is we try to help all educators understand the changes that are coming. So if little you know, Johnny or Sally goes and talks to an English teacher in grade you know, four and says, I want to be a fashion designer, that English teacher needs to know that the two most important skills to get a job as a fashion designer now are 3D printing and robotics. And that information was told to me by people in the fashion industry. And, you know, that, those are not skills that we would typically associate with being a fashion designer. But yeah. if, you own a, if you own a fashion company and you're going to hire a new designer and you want somebody who can give you cutting-edge design, can give you cheap cost of manufacturing once you've got your design, you know, all of those things, if they understand 3D printing and robotics – they can do more. I don't know if it's 20% more, 50% more, but it's more. And if you're going to hire just one designer, do you bring in the person that can give you more or less? And the right. answer is, of course, more. Right. And so as soon as people, as soon as there are fashion designers with those skills available, the fashion designers without those skills start having a hard time getting a job. And when we're talking about a global economy, if within North America, our students aren't getting those skills, and globally they are, who has the advantage? Right. You know, we should, we should, be, we should be very concerned about the education that our kids are getting, and, or, or more specifically, the education they're not getting. Right. And again, this is, not on, this is not on the educators. This is something that is just generally not understood, you know, and it's... And it's partly because we've got robotics companies that will make or that will make comments like, "Oh, we've got a robot to help sort recycling," and they'll make comments like, "We're not taking away jobs; we're freeing people up to do more valuable work and and you know more awesome work." Great, but when that's happening to 10 million or 20 million or 30 million people or 300 million people worldwide, there aren't more awesome jobs for those people to do without massive retraining. So we have to rethink the whole process of education, right? And, and, you know, to be fair to educators, they have been trying to change and upgrade education for a very long time. It's just that a lot of the strategies they're using are the same strategies that haven't necessarily been effective, right? right. So right. I talked to a lot of educators that are trying to get more girls engaged in robotics and coding and physics and their best efforts, it's like, we had a 100% increase. And it's like, okay, so now you've gone from three girls out of a 1,000 learning coding to six. That's a 100% increase. We would say 100% increase is really great. That is such a statistical irrelevant number. It's a huge problem, right? So we have to, we have to rethink things. We have to get this education to our kids that are younger. And we have to do it immediately. Right. The, the, you know, the... This is the big one. Go ahead. No, I, I love that example you gave of the fashion designer having to know 3D printing and robotics because I hadn't thought of that. I think of a fashion designer with a, a piece of chalk and uh, maybe or a charcoal pencil sketching and, a, and, and uh, some, some shears cutting fabric. That's, you know, what I think of a fashion designer. But so can you give me some more examples of that, things that – uh, occupations we might not think th that would be impacted by robotics and AI that, that definitely will be. Sure. I, and here's, here's one that I, that I think is excellent because I talk to educators a lot. And 
So typically what I'll do is if I'm talking to educators is I'll, I'll lay out, here's the changes that are happening in, you know, okay, truck drivers, bus drivers, cab drivers, self-driving cars. Okay, we that one is understood. Retail, uh, those changes are you know, fairly understood. You've got self-checkouts, you've got warehouse robots, stocking robots, cleaning robots, um, customer service robots coming. Uh, the security, food industry robots. Security guard. Security, security guard. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, within within the hospitality sector, there's robotic coffee shops. Uh, there's a hotel in Japan being serviced by 10 people. The rest of the hotel functions are being done by robotics. Uh, we're starting to see robotic orderlies in hospitals and at the airports and stuff. So a huge range. But the one I love is teachers. So I run through all those jobs and I say, so we're, you know, these are all the jobs that are going away. At the same time, there's millions or tens of millions of new jobs big data analysis, cybersecurity, coding, robotics, artificial intelligence, these types of skills. So let's forecast forward five years. What kind of teachers are getting a job? And the answer is teachers that teach robotics. We have a lot of, or, or coding, or 3D printing, all of these high, new high-tech skills. We have an abundance of teachers in our system that can teach English, math, the sciences, Right, And so if a teacher retires and they're bringing a new teacher in, they're probably not going to bring in a teacher to teach those subjects. They're going to bring in a teacher to teach the skills they don't have in-house, the high-tech skills, and they're going to shuffle staff internally. So now robot or teaching is not a high-tech career, but for the next five to ten years, if you want to be a teacher, you better have the words coding, robotics, 3D printing, or whatever it might be on your resume. And the truth is, a lot of people don't understand this. So I've got a son who's uh, just gone off. He's completed his first year of college. And when we were applying at different schools and interviewing different schools, he was a little embarrassed, I think, about, about the tack that I was taking because he was trying to put his best foot forward, be respectful and stuff. And I was, you know, asking some real pointed questions to the professors and instructors because he wanted to go into business, uh, take business management. And so I would say to the instructors, you know, can you tell me what impact robotics and AI is going to have on the workforce and what you know, we need to do to prepare our kids? I didn't talk to a single instructor or professor. And this is, again, not a, this is not a knock on them. It's just that this is not understood. I didn't talk to a single professor or instructor that had any knowledge of how these technologies are going to totally transform the workplace. And now imagine if you're paying $100,000 to get an education, and when you come out in four or five years' time, the world has changed. And if you understand robotics and artificial intelligence, you're going to go to the top of your industry. You're going to be much more likely to get a job. For example, if you're, you know, if Lowe's has a customer service robot and a warehouse robot and cashiers and, you know, stocking robots and stuff, that changes the workflow and potential of that Lowe's store. Now, if you're the regional director of Lowe's and you need to hire a new store manager, are you hiring somebody who understands that technology or doesn't? Right. And the right. answer is, you know, it, every time, if, if there's a candidate that understands that technology, they get the job. But our, our, our university profs don't understand, you know, and, and there are certainly some that do. I'm not trying to paint everybody with, with this brush. And, you know, to be totally fair, I also would have been in this situation of not understanding what was coming if I just, if I hadn't happened to employ um, a roboticist slash coder, and he happened to develop what I believe is the world's greatest platform for teaching robotics. Hands down, nothing comes close. But, and then, you know, because we were working closely together, you know, he would be like, oh, here's what's happening. Oh, look, you know, what he did is he hacked a Wall-E toy and turned that into a robot. And he'd come into the office and say every couple of days, like, oh, look, my robot can drive around the room without crashing into things. And the truth is at that time, I was like, eh. Like, I was like, that's neat, but okay. You know, and then it's like, oh, look, I can have a conversation with my robot. And I was like, okay. You know, I, I didn't realize, and this goes back eight years ago or 10 years ago, I didn't realize I was looking at cutting edge, world-class robotics. You're not easily impressed. Because it impressed. was sitting in a wall -E toy. <laughs> You're not easily impressed. <laughs> well, just, it's a tough I room. Was, I was just ignorant. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was just ignorant. I just didn't know. And so, you know, but then as I started to go, you know, he would be like, okay, well, I'm having a challenge with this supplier. I'm like, hey, I can help you with that. I've, I've talked to suppliers before. And then he was looking at hiring people and stuff. So as I started to try to help him with his business and, you know, be able to have good conversations with him, I started to understand the impact that robotics and AI was going to have on the workforce. And I understood as well that his product was, you know, vastly superior to anything else that was on the pro- on the market. And as I was, so I was like, wow, you got to take your product into education. And he was busy doing R&D. So I was like, I'll go talk to some educators on your behalf. This is how I got involved in all of this. And the more I started to understand about the challenges of what's coming, and the more I started to showcase, showcase his robots, the, the more I started to understand that there was an incredibly great solution. So then I put my company aside and I started traveling the world, helping educators understand most importantly what the problem is and then be what the solution is because we are, the results we're achieving are off the charts at the, I talked about the high school stats at the middle school, the number of kids learning robotics on average for schools that that are offering that as an option is between five and 15% of the student population. So much better than high school, but still not great. And at the middle school level or junior high in Canada, we're able to hit 90% consistently. The worst result I ever had was I got a 75%. And that was in uh, an inner city LA school where I always get the kids up to volunteer to program the robot that we bring in. It's a little humanoid. And when they were programming this robot, I could tell by their typing speed that they had had almost no time on a computer. Like they were really searching for every letter. And so, but even at the end of that one, you know, we went from in an hour, two or three kids out of 70 that wanted to, you know, that so they might work with robots in the future to 75% wanting to learn robotics. And if we can have that kind of level of engagement with the, and this robot platform is real world, unbelievably powerful. You can get advanced sensors like LIDAR, inverted pendulum and stuff. So if we can get, you know, 90% of our middle school kids wanting to learn robotics and they're working with a real world robotics platform, that's a solution and it could be implemented today. And the cost on that is if you were to amortize the cost over four or five years, if you were to buy some robots, the cost is about $20 a student. Now think about the co- that cost versus the cost of retraining people that don't have the skills they need. It's crazy. More of my conversation with Dennis Combites when Conspiracy Unlimited return. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's time once again to welcome Colleen Forges, our nutritional expert and the manager at Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary. Colleen, welcome. Hi, Richard. How are you today? I'm terrific, but a lot of people are in a bit of a panic. A lot of people are stressed with this whole coronavirus thing, but people just need to keep calm. What do we have to help people calm themselves? Richard, there's a product called MagSu, Mags being short for magnesium. And this is a powder which is a fat-acting, calming, raspberry lemonade-flavored powder. Magnesium is important for over 325 functions in the body. It helps to promote a restful sleep. It's good for muscle tone and function. It helps us to balance our stress response. Good for blood pressure, blood sugar, digestion, hormones. It has a wide variety of things that are important for the body, but especially helps with stress. Terrific. To get your mag soothe, just go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the full script dispensary button. Remember, all orders receive 10% off and orders of $50 or more ship for free. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. In another reality, Richard is a very strong and handsome man.
Just not in our reality. Although I heard somebody passing him in the hall the other day, and it was good, good, a handsome man, Richard is. I made that up. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Dennis Combites is here from Robots.Education. Parents that want their children to be exposed to sciences and technology, you know, they enroll them in, in STEM courses. And typically, you know, there's astronomy offered and biology and chemistry and computer science and engineering and some health sciences maybe and some information technology. But I don't typically see on a list of STEM majors anything about robotics or am I wrong? No, that's, that's definitely true. And, you know, so I'm on a big mission to try to help educators and parents understand that robotics is the glue that's going to tie it all together. You know, co- and, and, and robotics for me, when I say robotics, that's it's kind of like coding 2.0, right? Historically, when we've done coding, it's always been an output on a screen or a printer or something along that line. Robotics is how we code the physical world around us. So it's light switches that have Bluetooth built in or can take temperature readings and adjust things yourself, right? So even self-opening doors, you know, right now it's a motion sensor. So that's almost like a simple robotic application. You walk up, there's a motion sensor. It says, oh, there's a person here. Computer chip tells the doors to open. But in the future, that could be running facial recognition. It could be alerting the stores that you shop with, you know, the most that you're in the mall. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. Again, my place is not to, right. to judge these things. It's just to know what's coming and to help people understand that. And, you know, when we look at the, some of the crazy things that are happening <clears throat> with artificial intelligence, with social media, um, in, in politics, it's so critically important that all of our kids have this literacy because you know, technology is going to allow us to do some things that we maybe shouldn't be doing. And again, it's not my place to say, here's what we should do or shouldn't do. But if we want to preserve humanity and, you know, and have a, a great future for mankind, then we need all voices at the table. And, you know, historically, when we're teaching robotics or coding and stuff, we're only reaching the most engineering minded people. And, and this is certainly not a knock against engineering-minded people, but we're getting, we're getting a sliver of kind of the, of the human experience. Right. And, you know, it's, imp- it's important that we also have humanitarians and environmentalists and artists and, you know, the full spectrum of what, of what humanity is. But they won't have a seat at the table to discuss what's coming and what things should look like if they don't understand the technology. Aside from Andrew Yang, who was running for president for the Democrats, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it's not even part of the public discourse. Andrew Yang was the only one talking about this. Uh, and I mean, we, we tend to think of robotics, as you say, you know, it's, uh, you know, maybe MIT or DARPA, these sorts of things. But the fact that it's not being you know, mandated by, let's say, the Ministry of Education here in Ontario or out in Alberta, that this is a prerequisite, uh, that, that you must have some robotics or coding literacy, um, that doesn't bode well for the future. That We're really, I know we're, I'm sort of belaboring this point, but we're really late to the dance. We, we are, and it's, it's starting to come, but part of the challenge as well, you know, I mean, BC introduced coding and robotics into their curriculum and unfortunately, like, so, so kudos to the BC government for doing that. And, but when they did it, I, I can't tell you how many educators I talked to in BC. It's like, Oh, we've got to introduce coding and robotics. We have no idea how we're going to do that. And, you know, here's a situation. So let's, let's, let's take it out of that paradigm for just a second and say, okay, we've got a forward thinking principal at a school. And that principal's like, I want my kids ready for the future. Um, so I'm reading about robotics and artificial intelligence. I think we should offer a course on that as an option for our kids to take. So this is, you know, he's doing the best he can within the confines of, of the system. But the very first thought that that principal will have is who can I get to teach my course? And the answer to that is overwhelmingly the same as asking the question, who's my most engineering minded teacher, right? So what does that engineering-minded teacher produce? 
a course that is for engineering-minded kids. But again, that's our top, like that's what's happening in our schools today. That's our top two to 3% most engineering-minded kids at the high school level. It's the kids at the other end of the spectrum whose jobs are going to be disappearing at an alarming rate. They're the ones that need this education the most. And so what happens is we've got a goalpost of we should be offering robotics and coding as an option to, you know, that that's where our goalpost and mindset is today. And that's the wrong goalpost. And if we do that, we're going to have such disparity between the haves and the have nots. And the problem is going to be exacerbated by the fact that there will be nations that are full of haves. And so again, if it's, you know, if it's other nations that have the forward thinking companies and individuals, uh, they're going to be pulling the money towards their nations and it's going to make things increasingly difficult for us. And I talked with an educator um, and this is going to sound absolutely horrible, but this is, this is a, a true story and it's, it's me being as frank and as I could, I talked with an educator in Toronto and she said to me, what do you propose we do? We don't, we, we don't have the ability to put this type of program into 600 schools. And I said, what do you propose you know, I said, like, what do I propose that you do or the school district does? And she said, well, what do you think I should do? And my honest answer was, if your school district is not teaching this in the next five years, you need to seriously consider moving to a place where they are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, love, I love bringing an example of New York and New Jersey into this, because imagine a scenario where, you know, this, the, these literacies are going to give you a significant advantage across all industries. And I could run through example after example, but let's just say for the sake of argument real quick that that's true. It's going to give you advantage across all industries. Let's say New Jersey gets into this in a big way and New York doesn't. New York City doesn't. And then in five years time, there's a job for a manager for a retail store. A lot of the applicants from Jersey have the high tech skills. They get that job. Okay. And there's a job for a teacher. Well, the people in Jersey have those skills. They get that job. In New Jersey, things are incredible. Everybody's got a job. Across the Hudson in New York City, unemployment is high. People can't afford to pay their rent. The economy starts to stall. They can't go out to restaurants. They're not buying big screen TVs. It's the same challenge that we saw in Detroit when Detroit went bankrupt. And I really believe that we are going to see a number, and this is terrible, a number of cities go bankrupt in the coming decade. Because the job loss will come for us all. And I I hate to talk in such frank terms. And I just, I really want to state for your listeners, I believe things will overall be great in 10 years, but the next 10 years are going to be very up and down for different cities, states, countries, depending on the level of intellectual infrastructure. And unfortunately, you know, in a... um, in a democratic system, it's real easy to cut education. And, the, the, and those cuts, because they don't show up right away, right? And those cuts are going to be so severe. The impact from those cuts will be so severe over the coming decades. This is a time when we need to be doubling down on education, putting more money in, giving our educators more resources. And if the, you know, the reality is this, if, if you've got children in a school and they're not teaching this, you need to be going into that school and saying, we need to teach this. Go and raise $10,000 or whatever it takes to bring a program into your school because your kids need this education. And it's interesting. I, I work with so many different schools, and sometimes schools are like, oh, we don't have the money. And I'm like, okay, well, do you have a parent association? They say yes. I say, let me talk to the parent association and help them understand what's coming. And in every instance where I've done that, the schools have received, like the parents have raised money for the kids. Because if you're a parent and you know what's coming and you know your kid isn't getting this education, you've got a huge problem. And I think that that's biggest for kids in the middle school right now, right? Because they're going to graduate high school in three or four or five years, and they're going to be looking at a world that looks nothing like what it looks like now. All right, in so terms of the job market. my boys, twin boys, are entering high school this fall. We've, we have been homeschooling since uh, middle school. Uh, so let's say, for example, their high school doesn't offer this course. 
uh, or a course in coding or uh, and they want to go elsewhere what can uh, robotics.education do for let's say homeschooled kids okay so the the product that we use most when teaching robotics is called e what's called ez robot so that's you know in canada that's ez robot uh, the website is www.ez-robot.com. That website has, like the, the product is incredible, and the website has 75 free tutorials so kids can teach themselves this. And what I can tell you is using this product, I have taught thousands of children robotics. Everybody, and I mean everybody, has success. And I've trained hundreds of teachers and the vast majority of people that are coming into this aren't engineering minded. I've trained so many teachers that have had no robotics experience or coding experience. And we did something really interesting when we were writing a curriculum for this product. You know, I debated it around a little bit. Should we go to a prestigious university to get a really prestigious curriculum? I went 180 degrees and I went to a, a curriculum writer that was writing social studies curriculums who had virtually no technical knowledge. And I did that because I wanted a curriculum that two things, A, spoke to morals and ethics, because I think that's critically important. And I don't think we get enough of that with regards to, you know, to technical and STEM education. Uh, but the second thing, and the big one was, most of our teachers have no knowledge. Most of our students have no knowledge. So I wanted something that was a real nice, easy entry point and it was really interesting, you know, when I started working with this curriculum writer, and it took us, it took us almost a year, and um, it, the process was, was incredibly challenging for me. Now, I'm not a roboticist or coder. I understand it to a pretty good level, but I, I wouldn't go work for NASA or anything. I, I don't have those, that level of skills. But when I was working with her on this introductory curriculum, I sent her a pre-built humanoid robot, and... The first thing I said to her was, okay, what we need to do first, I want you to reach behind the robot, turn on the power switch, and we're going to calibrate the servos. And her comment to me was, what's a servo? So I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to step back. First thing we're going to do is we're going to explain what a servo is. And I can't even tell you how many times we had that conversation. So we've got a really great self-directed curriculum now that any school or district can bring in and any teacher can teach. So that's the kind of systemic solution that we need to take, whether people are using that particular platform or another one, we have to think of this as not being an engineering course. And, you know, there's another great example that we can talk about with regards to, you know, paralleling this to the computer industry. Imagine, you know, today we all know that we need computer literacy or your future is significantly limited. But now imagine if the way we taught computers in schools was, you know, welcome to the computer class. The first thing I want you to do is reach around your computers. We're going to turn those off. And now take out your screwdrivers. We're going to open this up. We're going to learn how to build a computer. Man, nobody cares about building a computer. I care about, can I play games on my computer? Can it help me do my accounting? Can I do great looking artwork on it? Like what can the computer do for me? And the way we're teaching robotics right now at, at the high school level is an engineering course. And what we have to do is teach it in a way that inspires people and we say, you know, well, look at this cool robot. So when I do presentations in a school, you know, I'll talk for about five minutes about the future and what's coming. And then I'll say, you know, I could keep talking for the next 45 minutes or if you want, I can show you what this robot can do because I've got the humanoid standing beside me on a table. Of course, everybody wants to see the robot. So I turn to it and I say, JD, show me how strong you are. And he starts doing push-ups. <laughs> and at that point, you know, the sound the sound of all the chairs in a class moving at once. Yes, yes. <laughs> you, you, you hear that sound because now the kids are like, wait a second, that robot just understood him. And I'm like, okay, you know, JD, what else can you do? And he does a headstand. And then he, you know, flaps his arms and thinks he's a bird and plays some music and he sings happy birthday all to my verbal cues. And that takes another three, four minutes. So we've got about 50 minutes left in the class. And I say, okay, or, or you know, 45 left in the class. I'm like, okay, we got 45 minutes left. Who wants to volunteer to come up and program this robot? And I do, this, I do the same type of presentation from fourth graders up through university. And this is a platform that is a real-world platform. People are building life-sized humanoid robots out of this thing. 
It's super powerful. In 45 minutes, I can get a class of fourth graders who have never seen robotics or coding before to program this robot to wave, to talk while waving, and they record their voice and it becomes the voice of the robot. They name the robot and communicate with it verbally. They have it uh, recognize a color and they have it recognize an object and that object is a student's face and the robot greets that student by name. And they program that all in 45 minutes. And as I go through that process, well, it's it, like, and to be able to do that in 45 minutes, like robotics is not what people think it is. It used to be very, 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 very hard. Now it's, you know, comparatively, well, like I said, I've taught thousands of kids and everybody's had success. So it's, it's comparatively easier. And then learning high-end robotics has still got some challenges. But when I'm doing this presentation with the kids, all the way through, like the kids can see the software, I've got it projected on the screen behind me. And so the first student gets the robot to wave. And I'm like, that's awesome. When you get home tonight and your parents say, did you do anything at school? And you just say, man, I am so powerful. I programmed a robot today. And then I'm like, okay. I say to the kids in the, in the audience, who here feels they could have done that? And every student puts their hands up. And this is such an important part of what we do when we're doing this presentation, because there's two things that the kids are lacking, and this is why they don't take robotics or coding courses. They lack inspiration and they lack confidence. And the older the kids get, the more they think everybody else is ahead of them and they don't take it. So they self-select them, themselves out of this type of critical education. So I say to the kids, who could have done that? Everybody puts their hand up. And then I say, okay, next student up, we're gonna get the robot to talk while he's waving. And then we go through the process. At every step I say, who could have done that? And I get all the kids to put their hand up and they all are acknowledging all the way through they can do this. And at the end of the program or at the end of the presentation, I'm like, okay, so all of you have told me you could have programmed everything this robot did today. Yes. Okay, great. And then I show them a video of a life-size humanoid robot. And I'm like, okay, you all could program this. Who could program this big one? And at, you know, grade four or five, everybody thinks they can because grade four and five kids are awesome. And, you know, it's still super confident. You start to get up into middle school grades and that number goes down significantly high school, significantly more. And a lot of times when the adults see the life-size humanoid robot, they turn their eyes are like, Oh my God, we've gone too far. But now think about, so the kids are like, okay, I can't program that big robot. And then I say to them, this life-size humanoid robot is programmed using the same hardware and software as this little guy. So let's look at what the robot's doing. He's moving servos. Did you guys program your robot to move servos? Yes. Did you program your robot to talk? Yes. He's got a built-in camera. He's recognizing things. Did you program that? Yes. So I'm like, in 45 minutes, you've all told me that you could program 75% of what this life-size humanoid robot is doing. All of you could program this. And the difference that we see in those children is so dramatic. And I've had so many schools contact me after we do a presentation to say, you've changed the culture of our school. Everybody is buzzing about robotics and coding. And now imagine if you're a seventh grader and you don't have great confidence in your tech skills, you know, and so you're kind of thinking, well, what might I do for the future? I'm not sure. I keep hearing in the media about robotics and AI. You start feeling more and more frightened about your future. And now imagine you've seen this and you're like, I could do this. The biggest thing that we're doing is not teaching coding and robotics. I mean, we teach those unbelievably, but the biggest thing we're doing is we're changing how children perceive themselves. And when you do that, the difference is remarkable. You know, imagine the impact of an entire class of fifth graders or seventh graders believing they could make life-sized humanoid robots. How does that change the kind of courses they take in high school? How does that take, change the kind of careers they visualize themselves getting into? You know, we've heard stories about behavioral problems going away. And it's not just the engineering-minded kids. It's everybody across the entire spectrum, boys and girls. I taught, I, 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 and I go on a lot here, so I apologize, but I taught one week-long robotics course in uh, rural Alberta. And the, they said, hey, could you come down and teach a week worth of robotics? I said, sure, that's one of the things that we do. 
I came down and I had 15 boys, grade seven to 12, no girls, because they said, who wants to learn robotics? But over the span of the week, probably 10 girls came into the library and every one of them stopped and watched the boys programming the humanoid robot. So I'd go over and say, hey, would you like to learn how to do this? Every single one of them said yes. But the big, the big takeaway for me from that week was at the end of day two, I said to the supervising teacher, I'm like, I am blown away by your kids. It's been 14 straight hours of learning robotics, which is heavy intellectual processing, right? And the kids are having fun and making a bunch of noise and they're learning tons. I'm like, it's been 14 straight hours and your kids are still laser focused. I'm blown mm, away. That is remarkable. And the teacher said, you don't, but the teacher said, you don't even know the half of it. These are the kids that are failing or nearly failing. These are the kids that don't bother showing up for school or if they do come to school, they tell the teacher to F off and walk out of class. Those are the kids you have here today. And I didn't tell you before you came because I was afraid you wouldn't come. And I was like, I'm so glad you didn't tell me. I couldn't believe it firstly, because I thought they had cherry picked all the best students for right, me. Right. Because I was seeing I was seeing grade A results, both in effort and in, in you know, in cognitive improvement and stuff. So I was like, Your kids are incredible. I you know, I thought I was dealing with the top end of the class. And they felt like they had given me the, the at-risk kids. And that's, we see that kind of thing again and again. That's remarkable. You know, I, I have to admit, I went into this interview sort of thinking robot apocalypse on my mind. And you have, uh, you've totally demystified it for me uh, and inspired me. Because as I say, my boys are on the cusp of entering uh, high school. And um, uh, I, want, I, want, I want them to get on this track. Uh, and so I, I hope uh, educators will be listening to this. If if a school or a, a parents association wants to get a hold of you to bring you into the school to do what you did for those other students, how do they do that? They can reach us through the website robots.education. And there's no .com or anything. That's the full URL, robots.education. Fantastic. And uh, for homeschoolers, they can try, uh, they can log on to EZ, or it, for my U.S. listeners, EZ-robot.com, and there are some free lessons there, uh, 75 free lessons online? Yep. Yeah, and one more thing for schools that don't have um, a budget for this. You know, one of the things that we did um, about a year ago at this time was we partnered with a company called Smart Technologies that produces the smart boards in, you know, in, in schools, and also a company called RoboGarden, which has some coding software that is pretty, pretty excellent. It's uh, software as a service, so it's device agnostic, and the kids can learn. They start with Blockly, and they can get up to Python and JavaScript. And we, we partnered with, this, uh, with these companies to try to bring free robotics or free coding education to 4,000 schools across the USA and Canada to try to bring, to try to bring coding to 4 million children. And there's still grants available, uh, but the time frame is pretty quick. So if, if schools are interested in bringing coding education to their school, and it's, it's only for the next six months at this point, it was longer when we started a year ago, but it's for the next six months. And then the cost is a, about a dollar to $2 per student, depending on the population of the kid of the school. But for, you know, can you imagine for a dollar or two dollars per student, all of your kids can get a coding education like right. and a comprehensive one. It's about 300 hours of education. And wow. so that's something if educators are interested in applying for that grant, um, they can certainly do so at the robots.education website as well. Dennis, absolutely uh, fascinating, enlightening and uh, inspiring. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back on the other side to tell you a little bit about an upcoming episode. One tablespoon of ESS-60 from C60 Evo helps keep me pain-free, energized, and mentally focused. And I'm sleeping so much better since I started taking ESS-60 back in November. ESS-60 is the consumable form of C60, the miracle molecule discovered by Nobel Prize winning chemists in the 1990s. ESS-60 is a mega antioxidant. 
172 times more powerful than vitamin C. Check out the Paris study, a peer-reviewed scientific study online, where ESS-60 suspended in olive oil was fed to rats. The rats fed ESS-60 lived almost twice their normal lifespan. I can't sit here and tell you I'm going to live to be 112, but I'm 56 and I haven't felt this youthful, energized, and pain-free since I was in my 20s. ESS-60 from C60 Evo. If you want to discover the benefits of this amazing miracle molecule for yourself, go to the episode notes for this podcast and click on the link for c60evo.com. And don't forget to use the code RS1SPEC when ordering and you'll receive an additional 5% off. ESS-60, the miracle molecule from C60 Evo. It's changed my life discover what it can do for you. This product has not been evaluated by the FDA and is not intended to cure, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Coming up next time, author Steve Harris returns as we continue our ongoing series on the secret history of America, the Spanish-American War, and the establishment of the U.S. Federal Reserve. No one in the last 107 years since the Federal Reserve has been enacted, including the president and any senator or congressman, has attended any Federal Reserve meetings. No minutes of the Federal Reserve has ever been released. It is a completely secretive organization run by completely private people to their own ends. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. 